From First Family Church in Ankeny, Iowa, you're listening to a message from the series Traction, Getting Past Your Past. For more information and messages, visit our website at firstfamily.church. I want you to know this morning that I'm going to say some things and preach about something that all of you agree with and have actually taught your family, but very few churches ever say it. So you're going to probably feel some tension in the room. You're going to think, man, I can't believe we're saying this. But actually, all of you would have told your kids this, or you believe it. It's just one of those things that very few churches actually ever verbalize. I didn't know that till the 830 service this morning. I could feel the room like, wow, there's some tension. And then I realized as I thought about later, why? It's because obviously these folks agree, but it's just one of those things that's hard to say. I'm going to say some hard things this morning. You'll agree with them, and when you feel the tension rising, just kind of put a hole in the balloon and it'll be okay. Because it's actually in God's Word. We're just going to rest in that and be good with that, all right? It may be best to set a, a backdrop for that by letting you know about a couple of things that happened when I was a senior in high school. They're connected. The first thing, which I think kind of, I wouldn't say empowered, but gave some wind to the second thing, was that I found out that my dad was going to be the principal of my high school. Yeah, Dad, you're watching this uh, later, and they all groaned when they heard that. That's what I did when I heard it in the summer of 81. Like, my dad's going to be the principal of my high school. And, and we had a great family. We got along well. It wasn't that that was a problem. But I had been in about a year, year and a half of a little bit of wandering, um, just a little bit of lukewarmness. I'd had a couple of incidents in our youth group and with our school that didn't go well. I'd been disciplined. And so, um, you know, it was one of those things where, well, my dad's going to be on site and I'll be in site more than ever. So how's this going to work, right? Well, God used that to propel me to think about my friendships because I think that was the core of my issues in that year, year and a half was just had some friends that really weren't healthy for me. And so to make a longer story a good bit shorter, uh, just before my senior year, I cut the cords of those relationships. Now I won't go into how I did all that. That's not the point of this message, except to say, looking back now at that decision, and I think my parents would agree with this, was probably the one of the best decisions I made in my early years of, of, of adolescence, you know, 17, 18, 20, early college life, was getting rid of friends to which I was leashed that were actually negative to me and not nurturing. Uh, it enabled me to gain better traction spiritually. In fact, I would say to you that that time of my life, that year and a half or so, really is a living testimony to a couplet of verses in Proverbs chapter 13. There are two verses. They actually go together as a poetic type of principle. But my life, I say, would, would be a living testimony of these two verses. It's Proverbs 13, 20, and 21. Will you turn there with me, please? Let's read what God would say to us. Let's hear His truth. Things that you believe, things that you would admit, and things you're going to teach your kids, but this rarely gets said in church. 
Today, I'm going to say it in church, all right? Here's what the scriptures would say to us. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. Really, a a couple of verses. It's really one kind of thought. And it simply says this, that you become like who you hang around. Did you know that? You experience, uh, we may even say not vicariously, but you experience in some way, maybe secondhand, what those you hang around experience firsthand. That's what he means in the second part of this poetic kind of reminder. Notice the words with me first, would you? He talks about someone walking with the wise. Do you see that in verse 20? The word walk there implies something deeper than Hi, buy at the gas station. I crossed your path at the grocery store. I ran into you at the bank. This is a, a kind of a, a close relationship. I want you to hear this because it's going to affect how you hear the rest of this message. This implies someone who's, who's deeply connected. We would even say close relationship. You're walking with them. You're in partnership. There's a journey happening. Does that make sense? And it says here that if you're walking, if you're in close relationship with wise people, then you become wise. So you, you, you become like who you hang around, who you journey with. So we're not talking about the, just the happenstance kind of high and by. We're not talking about the acquaintances. We're talking about the close connections, the deep associations. And conversely, if you have that same thing with fools, you'll suffer harm. The word here used is the word companion. Again, the idea of a partnership. Somewhere you're going together. There's, it's more than just like I'm, I'm, I'm stopping by with you for a second or we're just going to one place. It's more of like a, we're kind of connected. If you are that way with fools, then you'll suffer harm. The implication being the consequences of foolish actions, they'll suffer and you will too. So do you kind of get the point here? You're like who you hang around and you typically then experience what they experience, whether good or bad. If you're becoming wiser Because you're with wise people, great. But if you're with foolish people and the consequences of that come your way, you'll suffer that as well. He repeats that in the next verse. Look what he says. But he uses different words. He uses the word disaster to talk about the idea of suffering harm. And he uses sinners to talk about the same thing as fools. But in the last half of 21, he uses the word righteous to describe the wise and the idea of being rewarded as the idea of becoming wiser. So what you have here is what they call in in, uh, literature a a poetic type of structure using what they call a chiastic structure, which means they state something on line A and they state its opposite on line B. Then they restate it on line B. They kind of repeat it, the previous one, and then they restate the first line again. So it's A, B, B, A. Do you see that? Wise, fools, sinners, righteous. That's not how it goes. But it's really all to prove one point, that you become like who you hang around. You actually will develop the habits and the, the traits, the tendencies of those you spend time with. Your associations will affect you. It's true to life. And this is what I was telling you. All of you agree with this. Do you know that? And you're saying, I can't wait to tell my kids that. He's one now. When he gets six, I'm going to tell it. Because you want to watch your kids' friendships. You know you do. But I'm going to say things today in regards to the church body. You're going to feel probably like, man, he's coming at it hard. 
I mean, this is, this is important because this verse reveals to us the sixth and, and final reason, at least in this series, that many people don't get traction. You know what it is? They're leashed to negative relationships. Now, I'm going to explain what negative is. But they're leashed to relationships with foolish people. And so they suffer those consequences instead of seeing the blessing of walking with the wise. They experience, unfortunately, the disaster of, of sinning and those around them who are sinning instead of the reward of righteousness. I want to talk this morning and explore with you what it means to be leashed to negative relationships and how do you cut the cord? That's our topic today. And this is my goal, that you will find the courage to evaluate and analyze biblically your relationships and where there are negative ones who are keeping you from visible, significant progress spiritually. Where there are relationships that are keeping you from gaining traction, that you will have the courage and the kindness to correctly cut the cord. Let's talk about that by looking at a diagram. Can I throw one more your way? I've brought several to you this series. I'm just kind of in this artistic mood for a few weeks. But here's what I, this is what I picture in my head. I think pictures help. Um, I'm a word guy normally, but lately I've just been kind of drawing things out in my study time. And here's kind of how I see this verse, that all of us really have just uh, two options when it comes to the direction we're going, that our life will take. We can listen to foolish people. We can partner with those kinds of people, and we can then end up going that direction. Or we can listen to wise people and become wiser. One is a positive direction. One is a negative one in which we kind of add steps of growth to our life. We gain traction. The other one, we, we uh, experience subtraction. You kind of see what I did there? Subtraction, you get that? No one's, okay. Sorry. Those are really your only options. Here you are as a believer, maybe even a non-believer, but you're going to either go the way of wisdom or the way of folly. This is essentially the book of Proverbs, by the way. He speaks to what he calls simple people, and he says, Hear wisdom, listen to wisdom, and go the way of wisdom. Reject the way of folly. Don't go with the fools. So this is really what we're looking at. Will we build relationships with people who are wise and grow wiser? Or will we become a companion of foolish people and suffer and experience the harm that comes to them? Which direction will we take? Now, as you think about that and that question and, you know, where your leash is going to be, so to speak, we could do this. We could list all the traits, even just in Proverbs, of foolish people. We could do that. It'd be a pretty long list. Proverbs uh, goes through 30-some-odd chapters of contrasting foolish people and wise people. We could list all the traits of wise people. We could say, okay, which one do you think would be the, the way you ought to go? We could do that. Or here's a better idea. Why don't we just ask ourselves, is there one core essential difference between wise people and foolish people? Is there one distinguishing mark that separates the fool from the wise person? There is. And the Bible says 
It is the ability to listen. Wise people hear instruction. In fact, this is how the book of Proverbs begins. And foolish people reject advice. In fact, let me show you a thread through Proverbs just to kind of make this case that this is the core essential distinguishing mark between these two categories of people. Proverbs chapter 1. I'll uh, run through these somewhat quick here. Solomon begins by simply saying, Let the wise hear and increase in learning. The one who understands to obtain guidance. But then he says about fools, what do they do to wisdom and instruction? They despise it. So you see he's already in chapter 1 laying a contrast, isn't he? Fools despise wisdom. They're not going to listen. But hey, if the wise hear and, and gain understanding, that's good. So he's kind of putting people into categories. Now, like, hey, there's a wise person, there's a foolish person. And they're known by how they hear what others and what God says. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 8 and 9. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. In other words, speak to him and he'll, he'll grow in his animosity towards you. But reprove a wise man and he will actually love you. So in that verse, who loves advice? Who loves uh, listening? The wise one does. The fool doesn't. Give instruction to a wise man. He will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man. He will increase in learning. So again, you see the contrast happening. Look at Proverbs 10, verse 8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. And you ask yourself, why does a babbling fool come to ruin? Look at the first part of the verse. Because he doesn't receive commandments. Are you catching the drift? Wise people just have this knack to listen and hear. But fools, they don't listen to anyone. Let's keep moving. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. So to a fool, whether it's a man or a woman, they're always right, aren't they? You can't say anything to them. But a wise man, what's the next word? Say it with me. Listens to advice. Proverbs 17, 10. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Did you catch that verse? That you can talk to a wise man and he'll listen, but you can't beat the truth into a fool. So I contend that Proverbs teaches that though there are many traits to being wise and being foolish, there is one that separates them. One that if you spot it, you can, you know, you know what? There's hope here, and that is the willingness to receive instruction, the ability to simply listen. If you can learn that trait, if you can develop that skill, man, there's hope. But if you can't learn to listen, life's a long road, isn't it? This is why Henry Cloud rightly observes that a wise person listens without being defensive, accepts responsibility without blame, and changes without delay. That's wise people. But fools, they're the opposite. And so this is the essential gist of what I call a negative relationship. Listen very closely to this definition. It is a close connection with someone who simply doesn't listen, especially to God, and then obeys God. Someone who just doesn't listen or obeys. That's the negative relationship that some of you are involved with. You have close associations. You have 
uh, really tight associations and connections to people who don't listen or obey God. You're kind of journeying with them. You're, you're partnering. You're companioning with them. And you wonder why you're not growing, why you're not getting traction. The Bible tells you why. Because the companion of fools will suffer harm. So again, you believe this, I know. You'll tell your kids this. But no one's ever told you this in church. No one's ever said, some of you need to cut the cords of some of your relationships. No one's ever said that to you. Because it sounds very un-PC, doesn't it? It sounds almost harsh. It sounds like, I thought the church was about love and, and being on mission. It is. It doesn't contradict with this. My goal this morning is to help you see one of the reasons that you may be stuck is because you've tethered yourself, you've leashed yourself to negative relationships. In other words, close associations and deep connections to people who simply don't listen and obey. To fools. Now, here's some further proof that this is the core essential difference between a fool and a wise person. Watch this. I'm going to list for you seven traits that Solomon lays out in Proverbs of fools, okay? Just seven things. And I want you to notice how every one of them actually could be addressed if someone spoke to the fool about them, right? Here they are. Here's just seven Solomon mentions in his writings, just seven. That fools speak too much. They uh, have rash anger, a lack of self-control, They gossip and meddle in the affairs of others. They're impulsive and don't plan ahead properly. They're stubborn and they're lazy. Now watch this. Every one of those traits, and we'll call them sins. Every one of those traits, uh, sins, if you committed them and someone came to you and said, you know, Jeff, man, I just, we got to work through this lazy thing. And he's a wise person, he hears that, he adjusts, he changes, we talk, right? It's not the sin that makes you a fool because I've committed these sins. Do you know that? There's been times I've spoken too much. There's been times I've exhibited rash anger. I've been impulsive. Yeah. You probably have some of these sins as well. So what is it then that makes a fool a fool? Is it the sin or is it the fact that he won't listen to someone about his sin? Every one of these traits could be addressed if someone spoke to you and said, hey, can we talk about that in a message or in your small group or in some way, right? But what makes a fool a fool is when he hears someone give him advice, give him instruction, he says, no, I'm always right. And they don't listen. They don't hear. So, so I just want you to kind of understand. Fools don't obey in a specific way in their life. Because they've lost the art of listening in a general way throughout their life. They just don't care to listen to anybody. And so they continue in these habits and these, and these sins. And if you connect yourself to someone like that, if you tether, if you leash yourself to a relationship with someone who is a fool, who refuses to listen and obey God, please don't think that you'll be the exception The Bible says that a companion of fools will suffer harm. That's the relationship you need to cut in order to gain the kind of traction spiritually that you right now realize you're not gaining. We shouldn't be surprised at this 
word of wisdom from Solomon. It was, by the way, a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy for him. Did you know that? Listen to 1 Kings 11.4. When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. What happened to Solomon? He had close associations and deep connections with foolish women who did not believe what he believed and would not listen to God. And what happened? They turned his heart away in an irreversible way. The kingdom that was in Solomon's days, the richest and greatest kingdom on earth, actually saw division and destruction. Amazing, isn't it? So don't underestimate what Proverbs 13, 20 says, written by the man who experienced it. <laughs> you walk with the wise, you'll be wiser. But if you hang around fools, you will suffer harm. I guarantee you Solomon knew what that meant. So here's what we're seeing. Can we just kind of bring our take-home reality to the front for a little bit? Again, these are things you agree with. You're going to say, I want my kids to know this, but I think very few pastors and very few churches have ever verbalized this. I can just feel the tension, even in this service already, like, man, it, this, is, this is some street-level kind of practical stuff going on here. Here's the take-home reality. It's not a take-home truth. It is, but let's just call it what it is. This is a reality check today. That traction comes when we cut the cord of deep connection with those who consistently refuse to listen and follow God's word. Now, could you say that with me so I can get a little maybe feedback here? Because right now you're kind of all afraid to breathe a little bit. Let's just all take a deep breath. Read together, can we? Traction comes when we cut the cord of deep connection with those who consistently refuse to listen and follow God's word. Unless you think, well, Todd, you're just probably plucking a verse from Proverbs. You're just kind of like eisegeting something. Thanks for that challenge. Because actually this thread runs through scripture, especially in relation to the body of Christ. Do you know that? Let me walk you through a couple more scriptures. Let's do some what we call, uh, they call it like speed dating or something like that. This is speed referencing, okay? Can we do that real quickly? Uh, here's Deuteronomy 7.3. When Yahweh told his chosen people not to intermarry with foreign nations. Otherwise, if you give your sons or daughters or take their sons or daughters, it would cause then uh, a turning away of God's people to follow idols. You see, God didn't tell Israel not to marry among other nations for, for an ethnic reason. That's not true. There's no racism here. He told them this for idolatrous reasons. It was spiritual in nature, okay? He's saying, be careful who you closely associate with. Be careful the deep connections you make. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Here's the one we like the most. It's just so succinct and plain and simple, isn't it? In fact, could you read this with me? Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's in a chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. It's all about doctrine. And Paul is saying, if you don't think doctrine matters, if you don't think it really is important that you associate and connect deeply to folks who believe the same thing, then you're mistaken because bad company ruins good morals. In other words, you can actually be led astray by close associations with people who don't believe like you believe. Interesting, isn't it? 
1 Corinthians 5, verses 11 and 12. He says here that he's writing and he's telling them not to associate. And the word there means to have close associations with, deep connections with someone who bears the name of brother, but he's guilty of sexual immorality. He means there in an ongoing, practicing way. In other words, he's hearing what the church says. He's saying he's a Christian, but I'm going to live however I want to live anyway. So there's this duplicity going, right? There's this non-listening lifestyle. If that's going on, then don't associate with someone who's guilty of sexual immorality, greed, or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. In other words, don't have the kind of meal that says, hey, I approve of your lifestyle. We're that close. It's not to be. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting verses about how we're to watch our relationships. Why would Paul say this? Because he knows that if you walk with the wise, you'll get wiser, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. He's just reiterating what the Old Testament taught us. How about Romans 16, 17? Here again, instruction to the church in Rome. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. And then he says what? Say it with me. Avoid them. Pretty plain and simple, isn't it? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. We command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking. There's that word walk, much like Proverbs. In other words, just a consistent uh, pattern, an ongoing lifestyle. Keep away from folks who are walking in idleness, not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Now watch this. In that verse... And I'm going to just kind of let you know where I land on a couple of things. One is, I do think idleness is a problem. He's saying that, right? Watch out for that. But idleness is not the main problem in this verse. In this verse, it's the person who's in idleness, but who won't listen to someone who's told him about his idleness. Do you see that? Like, we've given you commandments and traditions, and, and we've told you, and yet he continues to be idle, so stay away from him. Paul is most concerned that they're connecting deeply to someone who won't listen not someone who's idle. I think they're both in play. But the real issue is, man, we've got a guy who's just not listening to what we're saying. That's a problem. Are you with me? Let's move on. 2 Thessalonians 3.14 and verse 15. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Why to take note of someone who doesn't obey what God says? Because that means they don't listen. That means they're indicating they're a fool. And you embed yourself, associate yourself, connect yourself too closely to a fool, you're going to suffer harm. He says, have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. And yet, don't regard him as an enemy. Want him as a brother. So do you see what's happening here? Again, the real issue in play here is the, the inability, the unwillingness of someone to listen, even when people are speaking to them and trying to help. Those kinds of people, the Bible says repeatedly, and Solomon quite explicitly, that we're to avoid deep connections with those kinds of people. Why? Because their stubbornness will eventually rub off on us and we'll be more like them than they will be like us. And this is precisely why some of you are stuck. You have negative relationships in your life. What do we mean by that? We mean you have a close connection with someone whose routine habit is refusing to listen to God and obey Him. Now, it just simply shows us again what our take-home reality is. Can we look at it one more time? And then I want to illustrate it for you. Here's the take-home reality, okay? 
Traction comes when we cut the cord of deep connection with those who consistently refuse to listen and follow God's word. Now, there's more we can say about the idea of a negative relationship. I won't go into that at this service. I did it at 8.30, but I want to spare some time. Uh, suffice it to say this, the word negative, though it, I think, succinctly means and describes someone who doesn't listen, I think there are some things that happen when we don't listen, and perhaps I'll share that on video for tomorrow, and you can catch it that way. But just be aware that this principle uh, if we avoid it, you won't break it. It will break you. So I just want to encourage you to have a humble heart and a listening ear to what God would say to you this morning about relationships. Perhaps I can illustrate our take-home reality and the things we've seen from Solomon and from the New Testament in a way that they'll maybe make you laugh a little bit. And that way the wound won't hurt as deeply. Can we just kind of say that for a minute? Um, Let's set this ladder up here. Maybe need someone to help me. Jeff, can you give me a hand here for a second? And I'm going to ask Travis to come help me as well. There's this ladder here. I want to show you an illustration of this. And I'm going to use, I guess you could call it geometric calculations to show you what you know is true, what you will tell your kids, but what sometimes we just don't say in church, but this morning we are, okay? We'll set the ladder up. We'll just put it anywhere you want. That'd be good right there, yeah. And uh, let's, Travis, just, uh, thanks Jeff, I appreciate that. Let's just, Take a hike on the spiritual ladder, can we? So Travis is Joe Christian. He's walking. He's growing. He's making progress. Though a little timid, but he's, he's like making progress. He's getting traction. You see that? Like, man, I'm taking steps to closer to God. I'm, I'm growing. That's awesome. But he has a friend. And let's just, um, Abel, can you help me? He didn't know about this, but you'll like this. Trust me. Anything you want to get Travis back for? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, Travis, you're what, 6'3", with shoes on, you said, at first service? So, Abel's not as big or as old as Travis. He's probably not as strong as Travis. Maybe you are, I don't know. But more than likely, Travis is just going to kind of outweigh him, outstrengthen him. He's outtalling him. Those are words we made up. So, um, but if Travis, as a believer, is connected and closely associated with, let's say, Abel here represents an unbeliever. And so, they have a close relationship. Let's, you guys link hands. Let's say they're leashed together. You tell me something based on just calculations and angles and geometry. Who pulls who where first? Every time, probably. Now, Travis can work hard, but he's not going to let go of the ladder with his right hand. Abel here could move anywhere he wants. He could pull Travis' arm behind his leg. He, he's got the leverage. He's got the advantage. Let's just be blatantly honest. It's easier for Abel to pull Travis down than for Travis to pull Abel up. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So Jeff, I understand sometimes why we say, Todd, that's hard preaching. I'm not sure I agree with that. When geometrically, by calculations, in an engineering fashion, we'd all say Abel's got the upper hand. We'd say that. This is what Solomon's saying. That until Travis cuts the cord here, he's not moving one more inch. He has to unleash himself. From a negative relationship. Now, I'm not saying that his unbeliever makes it negative. I'm saying he represents the, the fool person who's not listening. And they've got a close relationship. But he never listens, never wants to grow, shows no desire to obey, no uh, willingness to, uh, to wear the coat of Christianity and be distinctly God's child. None of that. He's just like, Travis, just fit in and worry about it. And Travis wants to grow. And, but as long as they're connected and leashed, 
He's not growing. And in fact, the likelihood that Abel will pull Travis down is far greater than the likelihood that Travis will pull Abel up. Make sense, guys? It's a clear picture. Thanks, guys, for your help. Appreciate it. It may seem trite to you. It may sound kind of simple, but I, I felt it necessary for you to see that because I know the challenge of what this message is, that we want to find many ways to kind of excuse ourselves from the plain teaching of Scripture, old and new. Perhaps this picture will help you. Let's embed this even deeper into kids that really matter, can we? All of our kids matter, but I, I want to embed this into a certain age range this morning. If you are between 12 and 18, would you stand? Kids between 12 and 18, stand. Great. Good crowd. So you are especially ripe for this temptation. And right now your parents are saying, get them, Todd, get them. <laughs> I know what, I've been in those shoes. I know what you're thinking. This is what I mean. We all agree with this principle. But the churches rarely just say it plainly. But this morning we're saying it plainly. You are in a dangerous place, okay? Now, it can happen when you're younger. It can happen when you're older. But there's something about when puberty starts and in these formative years of becoming a, an adult, which is what you're doing. You're, God's turning in you into, into an adult. These are formative years in which your friendships and relationships are vitally important. And I want to tell you as your pastor, on behalf of your parents and your youth leaders and this church community, please watch your friendships. Guard the people you let really close to your life because your heart can be easily turned, easily swayed, slowly, deceptively misled. Don't feel guilt for guarding your friendships. Do not feel guilty for protecting those close relationships and making sure they're biblical. It's one of the ways that you can ensure that you are not a companion of fools. It's okay to ask your friends how they're doing in their obedience to Christ. Did you know that? It's okay to say, hey, here's how I'm growing. How are you growing? It's okay to talk good about your parents to your friends. It's okay for you to say to your friends, I'm really hearing my parents say this and I'm obeying them. And if your friend is saying the opposite of those things to you, then they're indicating they may be struggling listening. And if they consistently show you they don't listen to folks around them or to God, cut the cord. It's not worth it. Plain and simple preaching. So I want to encourage you. Watch your friendships. It could be the most important thing you do in these years as a teenager. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, on the heels of that, a couple of uh, objections I want to answer, and then I want to close with one affirmation, all right? Because I think you're like me in this sense. You're hearing this, reading this, and you've thought of a few objections, and I think that's healthy, by the way. It's okay. As good listeners do. Like, well, what about this, and what about that? Excellent. Here's some ones I thought of, and maybe you did too. Like, what about a heart for the lost, Todd? What about a, a heart of compassion for people in need? I agree. What do we do with that? How do we answer that objection? First of all, let's clear this up. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Amen. I want to be a friend of sinners. But in the culture of Jesus, while he was a friend of sinners, he was often seen 
as the foe of fools. In that day and age, the fools were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they never listened to Jesus. They would come at him. They were the religious crowd, by the way. And they would come at him and come at him. And they hated him so much, they eventually conspired with the Roman leaders to kill him. So this message really isn't aimed at the missional person. We are to be on mission, right, church? I mean, we're to have a heart for lost people. As the Father has sent Christ, so the Christ is sending us. This is not about that. So let's don't create false choices. Let's not try to mix the issues. But if you are wondering, how do I balance close, or maybe I should say semi-close relationships with people who need the Lord and are lost with this truth that we're learning, that maybe I'll get stuck by them, or maybe I'll get... um, um, misled I think the key is in managing your motives here's what I mean if you're on mission to declare the treasure of Christ and your identity in him and the glories of God man go for it but if you're if you're on mission to find your identity that's a dangerous precipice to walk you're going, to make, you're going to kind of make close relationships with people who aren't anywhere close to where, where you are. And you're doing that so you can see if you are approved by them and if there's some meaning in that or if they can kind of give you their thumbs up or their pat on the back. Or if, you've, if you're seeing those folks as like a pseudo-savior or you're trying to find some kind of identity in that, I would stay far away from that. You have deeper needs than you realize. So it's all about managing your motives. And if you're just acting like you want to help people when really you're trying to get something for yourself in that, that's not a good reason to reach out on mission. Are you with me? But if your mission, man, if your heart is to declare God's glories, to to unashamedly just be distinctly Christian and engage folks about what that means, go for it. I think it's all in the motives. Let's be a friend to sinners. Uh, That's not even the question. I would say this to you about the lifestyle of Christ, though. He was a friend of sinners. He clearly spoke about the gospel. He took a few who would listen really well and invested in them. And then those who never listened, uh, he continued to preach. But there were times he said, I'm done. Remember the town that would not listen to him, so he left? And the Bible says that he didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. In fact, he told the 72 that he sent out, he said, go, and if a town doesn't listen to you, just shake the dust off your feet and go to the next town. So there is something that Jesus understands about this repeated act of not listening in which he's saying, well, I'll find those who will listen and start there. So I'll let you wrestle through that. But I think it would be a false choice to say that that if if we believe this and live by this, that means we don't care about lost people. I don't think that's actually what's happening at all. We can actually do both. We can guard relationships, obey the Bible, and connect to wise people. At the same time, we can love those we're on mission to uh, and have relationships with those who don't know Christ. We can do both of those. We just have to do it biblically and carefully and with the right motives. Maybe you're saying, well, Todd, what if the person who's not listening is someone with whom I can't cut the cord like a child or a spouse? 
Well, that's a great objection to this. Like, see, it doesn't apply. Well, let me just answer that by saying this. You're right. This is not a reason to divorce your spouse <laughs> or disown your child. God forbid. There are biblical mandates in these relationships. And so for, for whatever reason that you're in those, if it's a must-have relationship, then stay in it. Amen? And you don't need to feel like we're giving you some back door out to that. However, I want to back that truck up. Sometimes we find ourselves, and this is mainly more towards the spouse idea, we find ourselves in must-have relationships now that aren't working well, what's maybe one who's not listening, because when it was a want-to relationship, we didn't cut the cord. It's going to be tense for a while. Don't walk out on me. Are you with me? When we could have said, you know what, this really isn't going anywhere. We believe really differently. We have opposite beliefs. Like, this isn't healthy. You kind of gave in to your emotion. Maybe you gave in to some sensual lust. Maybe you gave in to a desire to be married. Maybe a desire to who knows what. But, and so you forsook, really, biblical principles in the want-to phase. And now you're actually in the must-have phase. You, you need to stay in that relationship. Does that make sense? You shouldn't break it. But it's going to require a lot of patience and prayer to navigate that. I'm trying to get young people to back that truck up and say, watch your relationships very carefully when they're in the want-to stage. That's one of the best ways to try to avoid being in a must-have situation. Can you nod yes or no? You're getting this? That's all I'm saying to you. And you may say, Todd, that's coming at us pretty hard. I would invite you to remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians when he said that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, in that text, the word marriage is never mentioned. Did you know that? So he's speaking of close connections. He's speaking of deep associations with those with whom we have nothing in common. So if you're in one of those now, when it's in a want to, have the, the fortitude and the foresight to do a very difficult thing. Cut the cord there. It's going to impede your progress. Are there exceptions to that? Yes. There are folks who married someone who, with whom they completely disagreed spiritually. And God saved the, the spouse eventually. And we rejoice with that. We do, honestly. They're not real common, but they do exist. And we, we're thankful for exceptions. Uh, in Christendom, that's great. But that doesn't mean we have to favor missionary dating either. <laughs> are you with me? So just be aware. Be thankful for grace, but let's not presume upon it. So that's how I at least address maybe that objection. Last one is this. Well, Todd, how do you cut the cord? Like, this sounds good, but I don't think I can do it. Well, I would say three things, three words to you. Don't announce, act. Because after all, more words to a fool are useless. Paul, uh, Solomon said, answer not a fool according to his folly. So here's what I would do. If, if I was having to cut the cord, and I did this in my senior year to some degree. This is kind of how I went about it. But here's what I would recommend. Stop talking, provide limits or boundaries, and then give consequences. And you don't give them verbally. Just let the life, uh, let the reactions and let the consequences happen. Let the chips fall where they may. So, 
In other words, limit the conversation initially. Just don't speak to them and talk to them as much. Don't be impolite, but you don't have to have a lot of conversation. And then when they do want to have it, provide some limits to that. The boundaries that will fit where you are. And then whatever fallout occurs from that, just live with it. And you'll find that actually that is a feasible way to cut the cord. Now at this point, you may be thinking, and we're wrapping up with this. This is the final affirmation on top of those objections. You may be thinking, well, I'm going to leave here now. I'm going to analyze my friendships. I'm going to cut the ones that are too deep with those who never listen, and I'm going to find a new set of friends. But this message wasn't necessarily about friendships per se. So I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to leave here and find new friends. You know, I want you to leave here and focus on the friend that Christ is. Because that's the only way that he will form in you the right traits to be the friend you need to be. Now think about this, church. Christ was the friend of sinners. And by the way, he listened to his father. He was closely connected with 12 guys who listened to him. They walked together for three years. Discipling relationship. He still reached out to those around him. He ministered to, to crowds who were lost and to individuals who were lost. But his closest connections were to 12 guys he discipled, and he always had an ear to his father. In fact, listen to these words, John chapter 15. This is about verses 13, 14, 15. Listen to this. It describes Christ and his disciples. He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master's doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And what did they do when Christ ascended? They spread among, among the known world and made known to others what Christ had made known to them. You see, they focused on Christ and became the kind of friend that he formed in them. That's the best alternative. Don't leave here and try to find new friends horizontally. Focus on Christ's friendship. And let that form in you the kind of friend you need to be. And what I'll predict is this. That as you become the kind of friend that Christ is to you, those who refuse to listen, those who are negative in your life in that sense, those you've leased yourselves to that have keeping you back from getting traction, they'll cut the cord themselves because you talk more about what you believe as you're unashamed of your identity, as you proclaim the gospel, as you live with great distinction as one of God's children. They're not going to be around you, actually. <laughs> and you'll find that they'll actually probably distance themselves from you just by your seeking Christ first. Asking him to form in you the kind of friendship that you're listening, you're obeying. Those kinds of folks will then come around you. They may be folks who are lost and are curious. You can talk to them. They'll listen. Maybe folks who are in our church, I don't know. But I tend to think when we make Christ our focus, ask him to form in us the kind of friend he actually is to us, we become the kind of friend then that we need to be to others. That's what I want you to do when you leave today. Don't go nail all your friends to the wall. Think this over, evaluate your relationships, and let the word of God hold them to a standard. And as you do that, as you dissect and evaluate, then 
Fix your eyes on Christ and say, Lord, help me to be the kind of friend the word describes. And I think the parameters will be set by that and the chips will fall where they may. And when they do, be okay with that. After all, that's how the leash of negative relationships is actually removed from our necks. Through the power of the most positive, life-changing, soul-satisfying relationship you can have. One with Christ. So let's seek that one first. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons. Thanks for listening.